All right, well, once again, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here this morning. Hello to all of you joining us online. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen, amen. If you got your Bible, go and open up to the book of 1 Peter. We're in the New Testament. We're gonna be here for several weeks. So hopefully you picked up a program on your way in. There's an outline in there for you to follow along. Of course, you can scan that QR code and follow along with me digitally as well. We're starting a new series today called Living for God in Our World. What a challenge that is, huh? I've noticed over the last few years, and maybe you have too, there's a lot of tension, a lot of discouragement, and in many cases, anxiety, especially with believers, all right, lots of people just wrestling with how to process difficult situations. If you think back to 2020 and 2021, the years that you want to forget, I know you've told me, like, I want to forget these years, right? All the crazy stuff that COVID brought to the surface, all the uncertainty that so many people had. Remember the trials we faced? The shutdowns of jobs, schools, and all the regulations that were put on us things many of us had never experienced before, all the discouragement that so many people had, all the misinformation that came out on the news and social media feeds and, 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 and the feelings of distrust that we had in leadership at every level in our political system, all the sickness that we had, and of course, um, of course all the death so I wanted to address the idea of going through trials as a believer. And so when we look at the book of 1 Peter, this book is specifically written to believers who are going through legit, and I mean legit, turbulent times in their life, and they are feeling discouraged like people have never felt before. Discouragement isn't anything new, is it? In fact, it's been around since Genesis chapter 3. And as we get into this today, Peter is going to show us that it's what we focus on that is going to determine how we make it through whatever trial may come at us in life. So my goal today is to help you find some help and to help you begin to recognize that there are certain things that we need to focus on as we go through life and as trials come our way when we're feeling discouraged. Now, this may be new to some of you, maybe not though, but, but for believers in Christ, as we are alive on this planet, there exist two different independent economies, okay? Not two worlds, but two economies. On the one hand, we have the economy of the things of God, all the things that we love about the Lord Jesus, his righteousness, his faithfulness, and all those types of things. And on the other hand, we have the economy of this world. And we'll see more about this next week, but according to scripture, the ruler of this world is Satan himself. Two economies functioning on parallel tracks in our lives. And there are times when these economies collide with each other, when darkness meets light, when, when truth meets error. And as believers, when our focus strays off of what God says in his word, we begin to believe that we can somehow bring these worlds and these economies together and have them fit and then have some sort of harmonious fellowship between the two where they make sense. And folks, that does not work at any time. 
Well, why not, Pastor Wayne? Because they're two separate economies, two separate leaders, two completely different ideologies and value systems, two completely different concepts of what truth is and how it's defined. And so as believers, when we look out into this world that we're navigating life through and we look at the landscape and we evaluate what's going on, you scratch your head and you kind of go, yeah, things don't jive. And as a result, it can be discouraging. So in a world where trials come at us, where we feel discouragement, we have all of these concepts going on, Peter tells us that we're to keep focus on five certainties about God. So in your outline today, what to remember when discouragement comes your way. Number one is this, is that God loves you unconditionally. Somebody say amen. amen. God loves you unconditionally. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in this world. Now, let's just stop right there. Would you circle the word stranger in your outline today? Because this is an important thing to get. For those of us who are believers, we are not citizens of earth. Wait a minute, wait, what? Yes, you heard me right. We are not citizens of earth who is trying to get to heaven. We're citizens of heaven walking through this earth. Okay, and if you have that backward at any time, the ways of God are gonna be difficult for you to live by. You are a stranger in this world, and if the things that are going on in this world out there are not making sense to you, it's kinda like ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's not supposed to, okay? And you can be frustrated, and you can be disappointed, and all that, and, and you can even pray for change. And by the way, you should, but this world's rhythm is going to be odd for those who are in Christ. Why? Because we are not of this world. And it goes on to say, Scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse two, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So Peter's talking to believers here who are incredibly discouraged, and I'm not talking like little bit because their First Amendment rights have gotten messed with a little bit. We're talking hugely persecuted. And he says in verse one here that they are God's elect. And in verse two, he uses the word foreknowledge. And someone, someone once asked, well, when were we chosen? And I'll give you my understanding of that in just a second. Christian pastor John Piper says this. God knew in the secret halls of eternity that you would be saved. That's a great line, church. In the secret halls of eternity. Ephesians chapter one, verse four says this. For he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, before the creation of the world. So long before you were ever thought of in your parents' eyes, God knew that you would be saved. And he goes on to even give us the purpose, says right here, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
And I know that there are several views on this, and, and I'm not going to get dogmatic, but salvation has both a God element and a human response element. The scripture is very clear, and so to dogmatically go to one side or the other, I think you're going to miss it there. So Revelation chapter 22 Verse 17 tells us who the elect are in Christ. Reading from the New King James Version, Revelation 22, 17 says this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Okay, so that's the Holy Spirit. And then the church, right? The bride of Christ, calling on the return of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come and save us from this mess. Amen? Okay, then he goes on to say, and let him who hears say, come. Now that's the believers that he's speaking to. And then it goes on and says, and let him who thirst come. And then there's uh, right here, who the elect are. Whoever desires. The invitation goes to whoever wants to follow Jesus. Let him take the water of life freely. So there's a God element, and then there's a human response element. Both are part of salvation in Christ. Then Romans chapter 10 tells us this in verse 13. Everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone. That was pretty good. One more time. One, two, three. That's a lot of people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what, church? Okay. Church, our hearts should be grateful that we have an opportunity to be saved. Not based on anything that we have done in this life. Nothing. But simply based on what Christ Jesus has already done for us. Amen? So in regards to salvation, letter A in your outline is it was planned by God. Scripture says it was the foreknowledge of God. God looks through all of eternity and the secret halls and makes his plans. Letter B is it was preformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look back in your Bible at 1 Peter 1, 2, it said through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And that refers to being made holy, and we'll talk about that more next week, but to be obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. And so what Peter is saying here is that as a believer, you and you and you and you back there, you are 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. You're dependent upon him for salvation. You're dependent upon him for any ministry that you do. You're even dependent upon him for living in this world. Without God, congregation, you and I, both of us, none of us, by the way, We can do nothing. It's all about faith in him. We're saved by faith, we serve by faith, and we live by faith. Scripture says that you can only please God by faith. That's it. So let her see in your outline. And it was purchased by Jesus. Planned by God, preformed by the Holy Spirit, purchased by By Jesus, salvation is a Trinitarian work. And back in verse two, you see the part where it says sprinkled by the blood, right? So what Peter is referring to here is actually an Old Testament symbolism, right? I don't know if you know your Bible very good, but let me just tell you that there are three mentions in the Old Testament regarding the sprinkling of the blood. As believers, 
We're not sprinkled with the literal blood of Jesus. It's not like they just, you know, preserve some of it in a can or something, all right? They didn't do that. This is simply a symbol, and one of the, the sprinkling of the blood symbols in the Old Testament has to do with the cleansing of the leper. If God healed a person who had leprosy, that person would then go to the priest at the temple and would present themselves as now being clean or set free from this disease. And so the priest would then take two birds and kill one of them. He would pour the, uh, the bird's blood into a cup of water and then mix it together, all right? And then he would take the other bird that's like living still, and then he would dip it into the cup, right? And then he would take the bird out, and he would release it to fly away. And then the bird would go away singing, there's power in the blood, power in the blood, right? <laughs> no, the bird didn't sing, and there was no power in the blood. But the bird was spared his life. And it's a symbol of the New Testament saved believer, Right? There was one who was killed, Jesus, and his blood was shed. It paid for our sins, and now we get to fly away for free. Jesus got what we deserved, death. And so when Peter mentions the sprinkling of the blood to this you know, young, early church audience, these people knew exactly what he was talking about. So the first thing Peter does with the believers is helps them to be certain that they are loved by God unconditionally. And so are you. You're loved by God unconditionally, congregation. Number two, God has you strategically located. We gotta remember this one. And if you look back at 1 Peter 1.1, it says that we are strangers in the world, right? We're scattered throughout like tossing seed, right? God's planting us like seed, placing us throughout the places of this world. The scripture said scattered throughout provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In other words, Fair Oaks, Carmichael, Sacramento, California, and throughout the world. But God has strategically placed you where you are at. And remember, everywhere you go, there you are. It's true. So God calls us, no matter where we're at, to live for him and to serve him where he has strategically planted us. And if you think about going somewhere else and maybe move to that place or this place over there or whatever it is because you don't like whatever it is that's going on here or wherever it is that you are watching us from online this morning, if you don't like whatever it is that you currently live and if you think you're gonna outrun it by going somewhere else, I've got some news for you, my brother and sisters. It's gonna find its way to that place too. Why? Why does it have to be that way, Pastor Wayne? Real simple. This whole world is ran by the adversary. And his systems, not just where you live right here, where you live online. Friends, there isn't gonna be a place on this earth that you can run to where things are just finally gonna make sense. It's not gonna happen. That will only happen when you and I get to heaven. That's where our citizenship is. We're strangers here on this planet. Look at 1 Peter now, chapter two, verse 11. 
says, dear friends, I urge you, what? As aliens and strangers, so there it is again, we're strangers, and we're urged to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And the word soul there in the Greek is sohe. And it's where we get the word psyche. So Peter is basically saying that, hey, if you're a believer and you're embracing the, the world's way of doing things, the world's economy, you are going to be a schizophrenic believer. Because you're going to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world and just things are not going to resolve. They're going to clash. They're not going to make sense to you no matter how much you want them to. And as a result, you're just going to feel the turbulence of day-to-day life and things are going to be odd and crazy to you and then you're going to feel like you're a schizophrenic believer. Y'all with me, church? Because the worlds are colliding. Number three in your outline. God has you eternally secure. Third thing to remember. Our security and our salvation, as we sang about it a little while ago, come from the very nature of our salvation and security. They come from Jesus. Peter says in chapter one, verse three, reading again from the New King James, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So our salvation is secure, not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what Jesus has done. We're saved by God's mercy and his grace, and we're kept secure by God's mercy and his grace. All of the good works in our life in this world, the compassionate things that you give to charity, the nice things that you do for your next door neighbor, the Christian ministry that you do, not only here at the church, but out in the world as well, while that's all good, it has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. Not one thing. It has nothing to do with your eternal security. Not one thing. It's only only through God's abundant love, grace, and mercy. And in that text there, the word begotten, in the Greek, it's pronounced anaganaho. And this verb means to be born again, but only one time. Not over and over and over and over and over, and the, because salvation is being born again one time. And as Southern Baptists, we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. You are spiritually reborn by repenting of your sin and then putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you do that, you are saved and thus eternally secure. Now, why is Peter needing to remind these early Christians of this central salvific truth? Real simple. He needed to remind them that they were saved and secure because of what was going on in the world. And if you're familiar with your history in 64 AD, that's the time period we're talking about here, Rome is the world power, Rome's in charge, the Roman king is Caesar, and this particular Caesar is Caesar Nero. He's 27 years old at the time, and he's totally focused on expansion and building and making things bigger and better, but this man was a paranoid, schizophrenic narcissist. 
And so in his effort to expand, he decides he's gonna burn the slums of Rome. So he lights the slums up on fire, and then things don't go his direction. In fact, the population starts to revolt, and then he realizes, man, that wasn't a smart move. Imagine that. The people are upset. And so now he needs a scapegoat. Because he's not gonna stand there and go, hey, population of Rome, my fault. I did it. I'm the leader, blame me. He's not gonna do that. So guess who the scapegoat is? Yep, the Christians. And as a result, Nero convinces a ton of the Roman population to turn on the Christ followers. And he says, hey, they eat the body of Jesus. They drink his blood. And they talk about fire and judgment. Folks, they are our problem. They're the ones creating all of this mess, and they're the ones stopping progress from going forward. Now, does that sound a little familiar? And as a result, the church gets persecuted. Now, they don't get stripped of their First Amendment rights. Oh, no, 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 no. It was much worse than that. Many of them, men, women, and children, would be dipped in tar, and then they would be strapped to a pole, and then they were lit on fire to burn as a street light in the city. And for those of the people who didn't get that punishment, what happened to them is they'd be kidnapped, and then they would be wrapped in animal skin, and then they would be taken to the Colosseum for all kinds of entertainment purposes, and then, and then the wild animals that were in the Colosseum for the show would come out, and then they would eat these people because they were camouflaged as prey. Church, we call that persecution. And so news is getting around the world about what's going on in Rome. And Peter is now writing to these believers who are scared to death. And you can imagine what they're feeling. They're probably thinking, yeah, I'm not so sure I'm on the right team. And Peter's saying, no, 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 you are. Here's why. You're chosen by God. You're secure in him. And for us in 2024, it's kind of like, you know, I'm not so sure really that God loves me because I'm trying to live right and, and none of my trials and none of my problems are going away. And Peter's saying to us as well, believers, you are secure in Jesus because of what he's done for you. You are a citizen of heaven, not earth. No matter what comes at you, you are secure in Christ, amen? Then Peter goes on to say, number four in your outline, that God has blessed you richly. Now imagine, your loved one has just been killed by Nero, and Peter tells you, you're richly blessed by God. It's kinda like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, Pete. And in chapter one of verse four, back to the NIV now, Peter says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept where, church? In heaven for you. Sounds great. Verse five. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until when? Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So to help us get this principle a little bit, 
Let's go way back to the old days, okay? We're gonna go way, way back this time. Let's go back to 1995, okay? This is like way, way back, okay? Now, if you remember in the NBA, that's basketball for us out here in California, okay? The biggest star of the time was Michael Jordan. You remember him? Michael Jordan, in those days, in 1995, his pay from the Chicago Bulls was $30 million a year. That's $365,000 a basketball game if he played every game. That meant he made $7,604 every minute he was on the basketball court. And then if you add to that his Nike shoe endorsement, at that time, in that economy, he made 65 million bucks a year. That meant he made $178,000 a day. What that meant for him is, if he were to sleep for seven hours at night, he made 52,000 bucks just for sleeping. <clears throat> if he were to go see a two-hour movie and watch Tom Cruise's first run of Mission Impossible, he'd make 15,000 bucks just for sitting there watching a movie. If he was to cook a fried egg sandwich in his kitchen, which took him all of five minutes to make, he would make 620 bucks just for cooking a sandwich. And if he were to go out and want to buy a $300,000 Bentley, he would have to save for a whopping two days to pay cash for that car. Michael Jordan was making $124 a minute, every minute of every day just for breathing. Are you feeling bad for Mike? Yeah, me neither. So now if you go to Bill Gates in the same economy, 1995, Bill Gates was the richest man in the world at that time. Michael Jordan would have to save every dime that he makes for 144 years to equal what Bill Gates had in 1995 alone. $12.9 billion. So how are you feeling about your salary right now? Right? So here's what we need to recognize here, church. Peter is saying to the early Christians, in the midst of their trials, friends, you are richer than the richest person in the world. Not because of any worldly money that you've accumulated or any worldly wealth, because that's the world's economy over here. But in God's economy, you may not own much in worldly possessions, but you own everything from God. And if we can get our spirits and our minds into this, and if we can understand the spiritual truth here, things begin to become clearer in our heads. And this is so important, my friends. If your main focus is to make money in this world and to climb the corporate ladder of business success and to fill your bank account and pursue whatever the world says is successful, my friends, you will struggle in faith. I promise you that. It's gonna happen. You will struggle with the principles of God and his economy, and they will not make sense to you and the reason is, is because no matter how much money you are paid in your salary, no matter how successful you are according to the world, it will never, and hear me when I say this with love, it will never satisfy your soul. Why? Because God did not create you and me to pursue money and worldly riches. He created us for his kingdom purposes. That's it.
And if God gives you a plethora of financial resources here on this earth for you, I just wanna say that's wonderful. Praise God. But he gives them to you for his purposes, which means he wants you to manage those resources for his kingdom. Not the world's kingdom. Remember the two tracks. You are only a steward of those resources. The Lord's the one who owns those cattle on a thousand hills. It isn't you and it isn't me, okay? So if God gives it to you, wonderful. And if not, if you don't have much money to manage, have no worries. It's all good. Why? Because God is your inheritance. Scripture tells us that. In the Old Testament, the Levites were the priests. They were the servants of God. And in the New Testament, who are the priests? It's us, the church. We are the priests. We are the servants of God. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. And so in Ezekiel chapter 44, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and it says in your outline here, chapter 44, verse 28, God says, I am to be the only inheritance that the priest have, God alone. And then it says, you are to give them no possession in Israel, I will be their possession. They couldn't own anything, God would meet all of their needs and he would be their possession. So the stuff we have, guess what? It's all gonna fall apart. Jesus said moth and rust will destroy it. All of our stuff is going to be destroyed. But the inheritance that we have from God in heaven will never, ever, ever be destroyed or taken from us. Amen? That's good news, folks. So the truth is, we may not have much in this world like Bill Gates or Michael Jordan does or whoever the, the richest person on the planet is right now, but the Bible says we are richly blessed. Why? Because God is our inheritance. And therefore, we have everything that God owns. Amen? Last one, number five. God has a purpose for your trials. And I can go on for hours and hours on this. In fact, I just might since none of us have anything else to do today. There's nothing worth watching on TV today. Okay? The 49ers and Rams aren't playing for anything today. All right? The verse six, 1 Peter chapter one. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of what church? Trials. All right, let's just pause for a second. It wasn't that someone got a flat tire on their way to church today. It wasn't that the church heater wasn't on and it was cold or whatever. That wasn't the problem that Peter's addressing here. These folks had family members who were being killed by Nero. And Peter says to them, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And some of them, let's be honest, they were really difficult. Verse seven now. They've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. The trials that we go through, everybody, they happen for this reason. You're watching? This is why. To prove that our faith is genuine. Spiritual growth is not linear. 
It's circular. We go through seasons, some good, some pleasant, other ones not so good, not so pleasant. And when trials come at us, that is what starts our spiritual growth engine. These test our faith to see if it's genuine according to Scripture. And the text here says that the byproduct will be what? It will be praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So folks, here we go. Stay with me here. This is gonna be worth you coming to church today. When trials come at you, the last thing on earth that we think about doing is what? The, the last piece of that verse, praising God. Now let's be honest. The first thing that we do when trials come is what? We pray and ask God to deliver me from the trial. Or we say, God, somehow at least make this manageable for me and my humanity. That's what we do. Okay, my friends, I wanna caution you on that a little bit. Here is the fact. God has allowed whatever trial it is in your life to come into your life. Y'all with me on that? Now, why would he do that? The Bible says to grow your faith. And as verse seven says, it's to show that it's genuine. Every trial that comes into your life is gonna be an opportunity for you an opportunity for you to trust God in a greater way than you have ever trusted him before. That's the growth factor. So my brothers and sisters, I wanna caution you on how you pray when trials come. Praying, Lord, please deliver me from this trial is actually praying against the will of God. Don't pray against the will of God. Pray for the will of God. You'd be better off saying, okay, God, what is the lesson that you are trying to teach me through this? What is it you want me to learn? And then God, please help me to get to a place in my spiritual life where you, God, where you will receive praise, glory, and honor through this. Let me tell you, church, when I found out when my son was two years old that he was gonna be autistic for the rest of his life, that was a huge pill to swallow because I had visions of having a son to go kill animals with, right? I wanted to take my little boy hunting and we were gonna kill deer and we were gonna go fishing for large trout and all of that was taken from me. Why, God? Why? Well, Wayne, I have a bigger plan. I want to test your faith. And you guys see him, and he's down over here right now doing his thing, but he comes up here and moves the podium every week, and he's super sweet to all of you. All right, Timmy doesn't even know that the world is bad. Everybody's his best friend. Boy, I had to go through life with that view, huh? Pretty awesome, actually. He's a great joy in our life. God has taught me a lot about him through him. Okay, so folks, when we experience trials, we have to understand that God's got a purpose for them. And if we as believers, 
if we don't learn the spiritual lessons that God is trying to teach us, hear me, friends, God will, he will take you through a similar journey again and again and again until you get it. Now, maybe you've had some experiences in your life where you've gone through trials that were very similar over and over and over again. Could it be? It's because you have not learned the lesson that God wants to teach you. Is that even a possibility? Just a thought, okay? So the principle is this. God has a purpose for every trial that you go through. What is it? That's what you need to figure out. And candidly, congregation, if I may say this, this truth is one of the most difficult parts of Christian life. It's one of the most difficult parts of being a disciple of Christ. We are not immune from difficulty while we're here as strangers and aliens. The trials that we're gonna go through are to help us develop godly character, perseverance, and hope. So I encourage you this morning, as you're watching us online or you're here in the building, I just encourage you to get that God wants to shape you into the image of Jesus. That is the goal of Christian living. That is the goal of being a Christ follower. There are two economies, church. One's the world's, one is God's. If you grab hold of the world's economy and its values and if you embrace them, doing things what the Bible says over here in obedience to God and doing things his way is not gonna make sense to you. But if you grab hold of God's economy over here, and you do things his way, watch out. God is gonna blow your mind. And what else is gonna happen over here is the world's thing over here, that's not gonna make sense to you either because they don't jive together. They're not supposed to. Because this one over here, this one is governed by the evil one. His value systems. So what you're seeing out there in the world, living day in and day out, Monday through Sunday, <laughs> it shouldn't surprise us, folks. It shouldn't. Now, it should sadden us, but not surprise us. Why? Because we're aliens and strangers here. This place is not our home. So my encouragement to you is keep your eyes focused on the five certainties of God in this scripture today. Focus on the person of Jesus, what he's done for you. Live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm promising you that will be better. But what I'm not promising you is a garden of roses. I'm not promising you that this is gonna resolve all of your tension and you're gonna feel better in your heart and things are just gonna be better when the trials come at you. I'm not promising you that. But I am promising you that it will change your perspective. Whatever you go through in life, my friends, God promises to be with you each and every day, every single step of the way. Why would he do that? Real simple, because God loves you. Amen? I'm gonna ask you to pray and stand. Stand and pray with me. Would you stand? Father, as we close our service today, we say thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what it does for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation in the cross.
Thank you for salvation in his resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for salvation in your grace. God, we love you. And when trials come at us, we know, God, that it's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be difficult. And for some of us, it's gonna be difficult every day for the rest of our lives. But Lord, use these opportunities to teach us to be more like your son. Shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. We love you, God, and we thank you for the day that we have today to come worship you and to learn how to live for you in this world. And congregation, as we're praying today, if you're here today and you've never stepped across the line of faith, you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna give you some news on how you can do that. You gotta repent, you gotta follow Jesus, and that's how you can become a Christian. You just gotta say this, repeat this into your silence of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I thank you for coming. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising again from my sin. Lord, help me to live for you from this day forward. Help me to trust you in faith. It's your name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Congregation, thank you for being here today. We got a lot of stuff going on in the church coming up this spring. We're gonna have a great year in fellowship together. Before we leave today, I wanna invite you to fill out the connection card. If you responded to the sermon or if, there, if there's a way that you want to let us know that you accepted Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, check that box in your connection card. I wanna invite you to put that in the, uh, uh, the box on the wall or you could take it to the connection kiosk. We'll give you some resources to get you started in your faith. You might say, well, Pastor Wayne, is there somebody I could talk to? I'll have more questions about Jesus. The answer is yes. Right over here to my right, your right, my left, is our encouragement area. We've got some encouragers that wanna pray with you and answer questions. Maybe you're just struggling in faith. You're already a Jesus follower. Trials are absolutely consuming you, and you just need somebody to pray with you. Our encouragers would love to do that with you this morning. All right? Are you glad you came today? Hey, before we leave, I wanna share, we've got some new members of our church. Look at all these cards we got, church. I got these cards here. Is Tina here? Tina Peacock, not here today? Okay, how about Pamela and Eugene Lurie? Are you guys here? They're, I can't see, are they here? Way in the back over there, I baptized them last week. Woohoo! new members, yes. All right, how about Chris and, uh, Chris and Kathy Kurtz? You guys here? In the back over there, Chris and Kathy, thank you for joining us. Is Casey here, Casey Nolan? Is Casey here today? All right, Casey's not here. We got people that are a couple absent. Well, that's what happens, right? The fog keeps people away from church sometimes. <laughs> Folks, we got, God is doing good things in the life of our church. I'm so thankful that you decided to come here and be challenged by the word of God. No matter what trials come at you, stay focused. Stay focused. God loves you, amen? Let's go be the church this week. God bless you.